The Center for Teaching and Learning is showcasing faculty innovations in and out of the classroom and creating a space for faculty members to share ideas and learn from each other's experiences. This is one of the series of informal conversations where we ask the faculty member to describe their, their innovative practices. We're speaking today with Marcella Del Signore, Associate Master and Director of the Master of Science in Architecture, Urban and Regional Design Program in the School of Architecture and Design. Marcella started at New York Tech in 2017, and she holds a Master's in Architecture from Sapienza University. Am I saying that one right? Yes. All right. Sapienza University in Rome and a Master of Science in Advanced Architectural Design from Columbia University. Before joining New York Tech, Marcella was at Tulane University, where she taught architecture and served as the director of the Rome Study Abroad Program. She was also appointed the Kyleen and Brad Beers SE Endowed Professor at the Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking. Marcella has also collaborated and taught a variety of academic institutions throughout Europe and the United States. Marcella, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Francine. I'm really happy to be here. What course is your absolute favorite one to teach? I know you teach a lot of courses. What, yes. what would you call your favorite? Yes. So, um, so as you mentioned, I joined New York Tech in the fall 2017. And uh, um, one of the, um, so since fall 2017, uh, um, I've been coordinating the visualization sequence in the School of Architecture and Design. And, uh, uh, and this has been one of the courses that I taught since then. Um, and uh, the visualization sequence looks in particular how the students develop uh, uh, visual communication, but also how they begin to engage with technology from day one, and they begin to uh, connect design and how they represent uh, ideas, let's say. So it's uh, in the School of Architecture, we have three, uh, three courses, uh, which are part of the visualization sequence, this one, this two, and this three. And these are taught specifically uh, between the first and second year. Uh, so the students are able to engage with the technology, especially working the, with the laptop directly from day one, and also begin to connect the, the specific workflow for representation and thinking uh, in combination with uh, the way in which they begin to see things and represent. Uh, so uh, uh, some of the visualization courses for sure are, you know, one of my favorite to teach. And I've been teaching this for the last uh, four years since I joined New York Tech. Um, and also uh, I, uh, I love teaching first year. This has been my passion since I started teaching. Um, I, uh, I've been also, and specifically in the School of Architecture, uh, I always taught within the V sequence, but also first and second year. Um, and, uh, um, and in particular, first year, first semester is something that I, uh, I really enjoy teaching, but also, uh, it's one of the class that I have to say it's challenging because the students come in with, uh, no knowledge. Maybe some of them already have done some, uh, drawing courses or some, uh, architectural courses or architectural thinking. But, uh, but we really engage with the students from day one in terms of how they begin to structure their mind to begin to see things through the eyes of uh, uh, spatial knowledge, architecture, and also how they begin to visualize and represent and communicate their ideas. That's uh, such a nice way to put it, structuring their mind to 
become disciplinary thinkers. Yes. Um, so I remember talking with Bill Palmore maybe 10, 12 years ago about the visualization courses. And yes. we had this conversation about how the students were coming in wanting to learn, well, then it was CAD, wanting to learn the technology so that they could get summer internships. And the faculty, yes, that's valuable, and also didn't want them to lose the the drawing and the sense of actually drawing out your ideas. And if you're sitting with a potential client and you can draw on the napkin, right, sketch out your ideas very quickly. Yes. How do you balance that now? Yes. So uh, we uh, always put a lot of focus between uh, the, the translation between the analog and the digital. So students from the first semester, they learn how to think through modeling, to the three-dimensional modeling, to the computer, to the software, but, uh, but also they, they draw by hand at the same time. And uh, so in the end, I think it's not a specific tool that they learn, but the thinking behind and how they, they start to translate ideas into representation format. And uh, um, so, for instance, in the first year and second year, uh, we always have a strong emphasis on uh, not only drawing, but also making. And this is uh, uh, allow the students to bring the ideas out from the computer, let's say, and begin to actually fabricate. So one part of the visualization sequence is not only to draw and represent, but also be able to uh, uh, make physical models as well. So through uh, through um, some of the so some of the courses look at digital fabrication uh, through uh, the digital fabrication labs that we have in the School of Architecture and Design. In particular, looking at uh, laser cutting, three D printing, and uh, uh, and CNC as well. And uh, so these are very interesting uh, way for the students to begin to, again, not only translate and represent what they think, but also understand how they can uh, uh, make things through particular workflows and two particular ways of uh, understanding material tectonics and, uh, and, uh, uh, and assembly, let's say, as well, of particular spatial systems. So we have a lot of emphasis on that, too. It's fascinating to me because there's so many layers because they're looking at things in three dimensions and then representing them in two to be built into three. And then there's all the layers of the materials and the structures and the weight and the, yes, it, it just fascinates me. Um, when you were a student, was there a particular teacher who changed your approach to teaching or have you had a student who changed how you approach teaching? Yes, so I um, so I did my undergraduate studies in Italy, and then I, I I did my graduate studies at Columbia University. So different approaches, I would say, and different teachers. Uh, but uh, but I always uh, I think some of the some of the teachers that really uh, helped me to understand the approach to teaching as well were the ones that put a lot of emphasis on uh, thinking you know thinking about design through iterations and through feedback loops. So I always tell my students that you can continue design until, you know, whatever design problem we give you or whatever challenge, let's say you're asked to respond to, uh, you can keep designing until, you know, until the end and for three years, four years. <laughs> but uh, but the important thing is that I think, you know, in architecture and design is it's important to understand that the process is never linear. So even if you move from point A to point B, in order to move from point A to point B, 
you have circles in between, meaning that you go back to the same point, then you continue to move along the line. But uh, so there is a lot of feedback loop and iterations that the students have to go through in order for them to develop the idea, refine the idea, find new ideas, and be able really to bring to the surface the way in which they want to develop develop the, the project specifically. And of course, every year is different from fifth, first year to fifth year and graduate students. Right. I think the challenge is knowing when it's done, right? Yes. It's never done. <laughs> so uh, this is also when we go in the profession. And uh, so, of course, you know, it has to be done at some point. But uh, but design, it's open. I see design as an open process, which means that uh, you can continue to design different aspects at different scales. And so that's why it's, uh, you know, never done somehow. Right, right. So when COVID hit and we all went remote and we knew we were going, we knew in the summer that we would be remote in the fall, right? And so you had the opportunity to think more intentionally about how to transition out of the studio. Yes. How did you adapt? What did you change? Yes. So uh, in, the, in, in architecture, the, the, the studio culture is very important. So it's really the core of the pedagogy and the teaching. Uh, but I have to say that in our school, we moved, you know, from uh, studio to uh, remote uh, from, you know, the next day because uh, all our students work with their laptop. So we have the laptop policy within the School of Architecture. So the students really start to work with their laptop from day one. And uh, uh, and we were able to uh, move, I would say, I would say uh, in a pretty fluid way from the classroom physical classroom into the remote classroom. And uh, of course, one thing that it's missing, especially, you know, looking at the studio culture and how this affects architecture and the development of the project is the the fact of being together and exchange ideas and being in the same space, sketch, go back. And so all the feedback loop that I was talking about, but um, but for instance, uh, through Zoom or other uh, educational technologies, we were able to recreate uh, somehow the studio environment. And uh, and I think students are, you know, quite focused, I would say, uh, when, uh, you know, we work with them, especially with the studio, we are crits. Uh, so I think we were able to adapt quite well. And, uh, and of course, one thing that we, we are missing is, the, is the, the, the making component, the production component and the physical models. So that's something that we look forward to see how can, you know, embed it back into into the teaching and the pedagogy. Right. And the students, how did they respond? Well, yes. how did they respond really? I, I suppose I'm thinking, I suppose I'm thinking about how studio is so different from all the other courses yes. because the other yes. course can go remote so easily. And, and how did they shift back and forth? Yes, I think the, uh, you know, there are, I would say, maybe three types of courses in the School of Architecture. One is more studio-based, uh, one is more in between, like a lab. I mean, like, of course, not only in the School of Architecture, in other departments as well, like the, the BIS courses are a lab. So we work between design and uh, tutorials and theory. Uh, and then we have classes that are more looking at the theory. Um, so I think the students, maybe at the beginning, you know, like all of us were, uh, 
I think we all went to a transition to understand how we can uh, not only adapt, but also be able to uh, be able to um, to see how uh, uh, we can work with the, with the technology, with the way in which uh, certain things can be you know translated. And I think some things are even better. I would say specifically <laughs> some of them and the way in which the students are able to engage. So uh, I, I look forward in a way to, of course, go back in person. But at the same time, I think uh, things won't be back as they were. And we can talk more about that. What was better? Uh, I, I saw, for instance, in the VIS classes that I, that, that I was teaching, the students were quite focused. So usually, you know, it's three to four hour classes. And uh, of course, you know, we don't do the same thing for three hours. So we have a sort of pin-up, a review where the students present the work, and then we go to the tutorial component and then we have one-on-one uh one-on-one uh not only desk scripts but supporting the students i i think the you know they were quite focused and you know very um really focused i would say in the tutorial component that really to provide a feedback for the entire class and so always i think the, the question is how do we at the beginning at least you know how do we keep them engaged how we make sure that everybody respond to the to the collective production of the work um, but I think I see students really you know be engaged more and more and really be able to participate in different forms do you feel like they felt a sense of community especially the freshmen right this was their first contact with or, you yes. and with their peers did, yes. did they form a community do you think um I think a different type of community I would say I mean I saw the students were helping each other a lot, maybe much more, Mm -hmm. because of uh, maybe the challenges, not only the fact of not being together in the same space, but also the challenging through the assignments. Uh, I really, I saw the students were there for each other uh, Mm -hmm. through chat groups or other ways of creating, you know, virtual communities. Um, And, uh, uh, you know, some of them, especially for the freshmen, I mean, they're really, they still don't know each other in person. (laughs) They haven't met in person. So, and, uh, but uh, I saw like, you know, a lot of support. They supported each other a lot in terms of the production of the work. And uh, especially, you know, with the VIS classes, uh, technology support as well. That is really good to hear. I see them in Manhattan, right? On the elevators with their models. And there's such a camaraderie among the students. Yes, yes. So it's nice that they could keep that. Yes. But uh, but I think we're all more uh, open and flexible to change now, to changes that might happen. And maybe we can talk more about this uh, in terms of how, you know, this is impacting all of us in terms of thinking about the current and future condition of education. But uh, but um, but on, you know, on the other hand, I see the students that especially for the studio, they really want to go back in person, especially for the studio component, not much for the seminars, but the studio component. Right, right. Um, before we think about the post-COVID world, yes, I have one more question about what what has been so far, which is um, sometimes everything just gels in a class, and everyone's aligned, and you and the students are fully engaged, and it's just this transformative moment. Can you tell us about one of those moments in your own classes? Yes, either remote or in person. Either way. 
um, lots of moments like this, I have to say. And uh, even in this semester, so I'm teaching actually the, the graduate students, the last studio, which is the more research-based studio. And uh, uh, and uh, I see that, for instance, the studio that I'm teaching right now looks at uh, way in which each student chose their own site and their own topic, looking at how we can engage different scales of architecture from interior to architecture to urban design. And, uh, and I think some of the, let's say, memorable moments is when uh, the students are able to share um, uh, thoughts in relation to how architecture can impact the world and how the discipline can really uh, make an impact in the way in which we think and the way in which we act. And, uh, and some of the topics that, again, not only in the studio, but also see this in the undergraduate, uh, students are uh, more and more, I would say, engaged within the, uh, to really see how architecture can have agencies in the way in which we think about uh, uh, production of uh, not only spaces, but uh, really, you know, for the larger society. So some of these moments, I think, when, you know, we have discussion, but also students begin to exchange uh, resources, ideas around these topics, to me, are, you know, very important and interesting moments within the way in which we teach and we're able to support the individual development within the collective environment of uh, the studios. It just sounds amazing to me. I, I think of some of the projects that have happened in the School of Architecture where you are going out and impacting other communities. and you can't be a passive learner in architecture. No, <laughs> no. no. And, uh, and I think, you know, it's very important to, not very important, but um, uh, the question is how we can engage the students, of course, at different, different scales, but also the, uh, uh, I see, for instance, for the studio that I'm teaching right now, the fact that each student uh, had to choose their own topic and their own site and really the research question and the uh, that they had to respond, this uh, really empowered them in order to really take ownership of their thinking and their design process and to really own the work. And so this, this particular studio, uh, the students have been working for two semesters in the fall and the spring, looking on research first, and then now in design development. And so, all of them have, uh, you know, looked at relevant questions, I would say, within the current moment and how they can bring, uh, contribute through the discipline of architecture and urban design. Do you ever try to encourage students to get out of their first inclination and to think about a box that's not their own? Yes, always. <laughs> always. Tell me about that. Yes, I think... Uh, uh, I think the, um, in a way, I think it, I see, at least in architecture, it's our role to begin to, not to begin, but to see how through the question that we ask the students to really push the way, number one, they see things. You know, I was referring to first year and that's why I love teaching in first year because when the students come in, they see things with certain eyes. And then uh, in two, three weeks, everything changes already. So they begin to see space, they begin to see uh everything, you know, the way in which they walk, the way in which they engage with the city, the way in which they engage with space in a different way. And I think this goes all the way to the graduate, graduate students where uh, where uh, the, uh, they engage with more, you know, not more relevant, but, you know, questions within the discipline that can really uh, provide uh, impact within uh, smaller community, larger communities and the world as a whole. 
so you've been dropping hints that you have some thoughts about what will happen after the pandemic becomes an epidemic and, and slows down a bit. What do you think will stick around from all of the innovation and the rapid change and the the creativity we've have we've had to have in the past year? How do you think it will change teaching and learning going forward? Yes, I see uh, programs becoming more agile and more, uh, I think not, not only in our university, but throughout everywhere, I would say. And uh, um, uh, I think uh, modes in which people, you know, will come together and uh, in, uh, in a classroom format is changing and it will change. And I think this will remain. Uh, this, I think, opens the door to uh, to modes in which we can uh, uh, create different teaching and learning communities, I would say, both locally and globally. So I'm thinking, you know, like in our school, you know, we do a lot of workshop, international workshops uh, we've done in the past, we will do in the future. So this is already uh uh, the fact that, for instance, you know, this semester we were able to uh, have exchange between students in different countries much more than, you know, in, in the past we had to travel and actually do the workshop in, uh, in, 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 in that specific country or, uh, or university. So this, I think, uh, it's, it will, not only will remain, but actually will grow. And uh, on the one hand, I think with the modality of teaching, but also the way in which uh, um, programs would be delivered but also developed so i see a future that is much more agile uh, and uh, both the courses and the classes but also way in which we can create communities around uh, teaching and learning that sounds good to me (laughs) (laughs) so that's it i think we're very lucky and uh, it's uh, you know to to be able to uh, strategize and think about really how we can support those processes. Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, So I would like to wrap up these conversations with recommendations. Is there a particular app or a technology tool that makes your teaching better, helps you streamline preparation that other faculty might like to, to know about, might find helpful? Yes. Uh, so one uh, app or tool that we have used within the School of Architecture, it's Miro. And uh, Miro, it's a platform that, uh, in a way, recreates a virtual environment for students to pin up the work and to be able to uh, have a sort of collective uh, um, pin-up space for, for the studio. And, uh, and, uh, and of course, you know, you don't only get pin-up, but you can draw and you can... Uh, add comments, posts, etc. So Miro is one platform that uh, we have been using within the School of Architecture. And uh, and it's a way to create a virtual classroom in the sense of recreating the studio environment. And, and also the fact that, you know, for architecture, what's very important is that the work of the students, we always have the students, the work is public. And so the work is up for review, for critique, and for um, and for you know be able to be reviewed by uh, by everybody. I mean within the classroom. So Miro it's one particular technology that is able to provide that type of virtual environment. Once you make the work public, the stakes go up, right? And, yes. And the quality goes up, and the excitement goes up. Yes. So the way that's the first thing that tell the students like the the, the 
the critique, what we call critique in the School of Architecture, it's, uh, it's really part of the pedagogy and part of the way in which the students progress in the work through iteration, as I was saying earlier at the beginning. Great. Vanessa has a question, I think. Hey, Marcella. Um, uh, thank you so much for these forums. I was a little surprised to see I was the only one joining, but I really appreciate this time to kind of hear a little bit more in-depth conversation about, um, you know, how the classes, how the semester has gone and whatnot. But I'm, you know, the word research means so much in different contexts. So I'm curious at the graduate level, Mm -hmm. what is really working? I mean, is it original research? Is it formal, you know, historical research? Like, what are the students really, what is the expectation? Yes, yes. Thank you, Vanessa. So that's a great question. And uh, uh, so research, I think, can be done in different ways and through different platforms and tools and processes, mm -hmm. particularly within the framework of the studio that I taught in the fall and I'm currently teaching. Uh, we started, which is the studio in the graduate, in the graduate program in Denmark. Uh, I actually started working with the students in the spring, in the summer already, and, uh, and asking them to formulate first the research question. Mm -hmm. So not really looking for, so really starting from one sentence. Yeah. So what is the research question and how you begin to create the platform? And now we can talk about the platform around the research question. So really starting from one sentence and based on their interest and, and from that begin to build the, the scaffolding, let's say, around the research. Mm -hmm. So how did we do that? So we did it through, uh, I would say, two to three um, layers. So layer number one, the students looked at uh, uh, books, looked at articles, so looking at literature reviews. So we asked them, I asked them specifically to support the thinking, not to support the thinking, but to support the research question through rigorous uh, um readings, look, look, go looking through readings and how this, uh, in a way, the research question was supported or not. And in the end, as you can imagine, the research question, you know, changed throughout the semester. And, part of that iteration. Uh, yes, so that's the interesting part. And also what we used, uh, we used mapping. So, uh, so I, I, especially in the fall, I asked the students specifically, uh, the, you have to design your research in the same way you design any, let's say, space or building. So the, thing, the, the idea of designing the research is, it, it triggers the question of what are the tools that you need in order for you to create the scaffolding to support your research and develop the research. So particularly we work through a set of uh, you know, readings, books that the students uh, researched and looked specifically, but also we use mapping as well to extract and uh, uh, extract and uh, um, understand to a graphic format uh, um, the important components of their research. So mapping, I see uh, in this particular context, we use mapping as an active tool for research. Right, right. Because I think students might be overwhelmed, you know, they have, you know, more, you know, look, lot of book, lot of books and lots of uh, readings. But the question is how you begin to synthesize into something that it's a, a visual construct. Mm -hmm. It's amazing the leap of the interfaces for manipulation. It used to be very uh, 
you'd have to pull in data sets from all over. And now it's so much easier to aggregate those data sets and understand the definitions and the variables. So it's the jump that I've seen in that technology. And it sounds like you're taking full advantage of it. I mean, it's fantastic. Um, and it, I always wonder, you know, what is the what is the fundamental point for the students to, especially for design and architecture, what is the fundamental point for them to start um, with that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, like, if you'll see that mapping as part of the visualization in the future. I see mapping. So I, I'm more interested not only the, you know, Visualizing, yes, of course, visualizing because it, it's a tool, let's say, to communicate. Mm-hmm. But I see more as a, a, those maps as a generative uh, tools yeah. right. for thinking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and of course, you know, can be done in many ways. But in the context of this uh, particular studio, mapping was developed more for them to extract important data sets or information or other important elements to continue to design the research. And to link directly to the design, to the design scenarios that they are developing. So it's uh, it's been, you know, it's, it's going to end in a couple of weeks as we go through the final. But uh, uh, I would say a pretty rigorous process going from the des- designing the research to defining the scenarios of the of the design. So how many different type of scenarios students can develop within the research question. Mm-hmm. And then now in the spring, we're actually developing. Each student is developing one project. Yeah. So it's a year-long journey. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. Marcella, I can't thank you enough for talking to me today. This has been really fascinating. Thank um, you so much. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who joined us today. We've been speaking with Marcella Del Signore, Associate Professor in Architecture in the School of Architecture and Design as part of our great teaching series. The conversation's been recorded and will be available on the Center for Teaching and Learning webpage, nyit.edu slash ctl. If you would like to be featured in the great teaching series, please email the Center for Teaching and Learning at ctl at nyit.edu or fill out the form at bit.ly slash great dash teaching. Thank you so much. Thank you.